All right, here with the BAM Biz Talk podcast. And today we have a very special guest with us, uh, Miss Kristen Chandler, multi business owner, entrepreneur, extraordinaire. <laughs> Welcome, Kristen. And Texas Tech. Yes, Rackham. She's a Raider. Okay. Well, we might have to disagree. I'm going to hook them, hook them. Oh. <laughs> well, it's nice to be here and join you guys today. Yeah. Pleasure to have you on. Absolutely. We got, yeah, Michael Crane here in the house as well as always. Yeah, that's only because I'm dust on a furniture, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what we like to do, just blow in the wind. Right. <laughs> so, Kristen, uh, multi-business owner, entrepreneur since you're, since uh, for years, you know, um, tell us your story. I want to, you know, you have an intriguing story here. Listeners would be happy to hear. From the perspective of an entrepreneur, I've been in doing my own thing for about 11 years but it really started as a child watching my great grandparents, grandparents, my parents going to their office, watching them do what they do daily and that sort of thing, helping with things here and there in the office. It just kind of always put a spark in me that like, this is cool. Maybe I want to do this someday myself. But that was all it really was. And in high school, anytime I'd want to earn extra money or something it was always, well, you can do this for the business or that for the business. Mm. And my dad was a one-man show for a long time when he was running a his oil and gas transportation company. So he'd bring his written work tickets home. And at night, my mom or him on a typewriter would type out the invoices. So that's, I guess, kind of where it started. And I started earning money. It would be like, well, you can do these invoices. And he would pay me 10 cents an invoice, but there would be a lot of them. And so that's kind of where I got going. And then I saw the ups and downs with the oil and gas market. And I saw my mom go and get her college degree. She became a teacher and it was really just a backup plan for her because it was so volatile when it was good. It was good. But when it was bad, it was bad. That sounds like the story for the oil. And so I watched that and thought, it's good to be a business owner, but you also have to have that that backup plan just in case, especially in the oil and gas. So after high school, I went to Texas Tech and I pursued a degree in business communications and graduated with that degree uh, looking for a job and couldn't really find one. And so my professors when I graduated, we're like, well, maybe you should consider graduate school. And if you apply, you could get a teaching assistantship and continue to pursue a graduate, a master's degree. So I thought, well, that's a good idea. But I kind of just tabled it, went and did an internship in the summer and thought about it and thought, well, I'll take the summer and see what comes along. Nothing really did. So I still applied and I was accepted in August. And luckily, I I really hadn't had any opportunities. So I thought, well, I guess I'll just go to grad school. (laughs) Might as well. I got accepted. I got the teaching assistantship. So I was teaching public speaking, going to graduate school. And then I had a couple of other jobs just to make ends meet. And one was in real estate. Like I would go and do virtual tours for realtors and put it on their computer and all that stuff before like all of this before technology was even a thing, like I would have to embed all these pictures and do all this crazy stuff just to make 
a virtual tour. And now it's like all this fancy stuff. But back then it was really, it was very, it took a lot of time for what could take seconds now. Right. And so I was doing that. And then I was running a apartment complex as an assistant manager. And so I was doing all these things, but, um, at some point I decided, well, I, I guess I'm going to be here at least another year and working for that real estate company, a little property had popped up. It was a little two bedroom, one bath house that needed work. And I thought, well, I'm sick of renting. I might as well just fix it up and live there for the next year or so. And then when I graduate, I'll rent it out. Did that somehow got a loan, how that happened. I don't know. Cause I would never, I don't think in today's world that would happen for a college student college as student easy as it did for yeah. me. Um, and I started the process of fixing it up, painting it and doing all the little things, uh, for, with the intention of me living there. And I got a call from my dad and he was like, Hey, we have some equipment out in Granbury, Texas, that area. And they're seeing that we do safety and they're wanting safety training and these things that we don't do. Cause we're just, I just have a fire extinguisher tech there and rental equipment. Would you consider coming down here and doing safety training? You're doing public speaking at tech. And I'm thinking, surely he knows I have a year left of grad school like I don't think he did I don't I don't really think I think he just saw a vision for me and it was like oh well like and this is more I, than 10 cents dad <laughs> yes and I I just need you to try this and so I thought about it and thought well what am I gonna do with this house luckily I was working for a real estate company so I hustled and got it ready to go within the two weeks that I needed to be in Granbury I had the hard conversations with all my professors who thought I was crazy. And all of my classmates were like, what are you doing? Like nobody really understood. Like they just were like, you're going to open a branch of your family's business doing what? Like it was (laughs) safety back then was non-existent. We were really the only game in the market. So I really didn't have anybody to like to research or do anything against. Like we were, we were it. So I dropped out of grad school rented my house in like a four week time period from my dad offering that to needing to be in this town. I knew nothing about six hours away from all family and friends and walking into an office that didn't have even a desk for me to work at. And we really didn't have any customers because our rental equipment was out with one customer. And the guy that worked there was just doing fire extinguishers for a handful of customer. So I thought, what am, how, how do you run a company when you have no business? Like, I don't have anybody to, I don't know what I'm doing. So I called my dad and he said, my best suggestion is hit the streets every day, 5am. That's when oil and gas companies are going to be in their yards. They're getting their trucks going. They're doing their safety meetings. If it looks like an oil and gas company that needs safety, because they all do, they need something with safety. Stop in and say, Hi, and just let them know you're here. So that's what I did. Not thinking I needed business cards or brochures or like anything to prove I was a legitimate person. I didn't even have a company truck at that time. You know, I'm I'm driving my college car down all these oil filled roads, like pulling in. And 
the first place I went to was they were doing a safety meeting and I kind of interrupted it and they said, well, we're kind of in the middle of this, but do you have a card? And I, that's when I realized like, I don't have anything. But I was like, we'll get you some, but just don't stop. Keep going. You're going to get about 30 no's because mm-hmm. my goal was to see 15 customers a day. And he was like, you're going to get all no's and maybe one yes the whole week. Don't get discouraged. If they say they're not interested, that's not a no. That's like, I'll see you next week right. <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. Right that's right. Write a log. Be persistent. Keep showing your face. They'll see you and see you're not some fly-by-the-night salesperson. They will see you're not giving up. And so I did, and I did that for three months. And I would get little things like, okay, we'll buy a box of safety glasses <laughs> from you or well, something small. Or, you got okay, the sympathy cells. You can yeah. do. <laughs> but I'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like, I'll be back. And that was kind of my pitch. I'm like, surely you need something like you need glasses or you need gloves mm-hmm. or you need a bloodborne pathogen. Class. Like you need something. You have to. OSHA requires it. You know, I started like after I was yeah. getting so many no's, I had to start being like, I'm going to start hitting them with like, oh, I know you have to have this by law, not just (laughs) whatever. Uh And that kind of started working in my favor. I would get a class here or there or whatever. And the first class I taught was a defensive driving class. And I passed around a sign and sheet. You know, I'm going back to my tech days of teaching public speaking and running a oil field safety class the way I would run Mm -hmm. a division one college class which didn't work because i get the sign-in sheet and it has like 40 names on it but there's only 20 or so guys in that class well it wasn't bilingual so half that class didn't even know what i was talking about they just kept passing the sign-in sheet around and around and again and re-signing it (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that's what i've seen that happen (laughs) and that's when i realized wow Like, I'm going to have to teach a different way, too. Like, I have to relearn a new way of teaching. I I can apply some things, but I can't apply everything to this new field that I'm going into that I don't don't know myself. So three months in, I go to this operating, a global operating company, and I'm not knowing they're a big deal because I'm just going to their field office where it's just kind of like the little trailers. Right. So I'm thinking they're just some small little oil and gas company, whatever, go in. I'm here for safety. The safety guy comes out. He says, oh, well, I'll talk to you about safety, but I need you to talk to this other guy who's the operations guy. And I'm thinking, okay, like, I don't know. He's over this whole division of whatever. He just happened to be in the office that day. Go in there. He said, you know, I'm sure we need safety to some degree, but I personally don't need safety. I need to know if you could get me these light plants. And I, I don't know what a light plant is. I have no idea. And he's yeah. like, if you can get me 12 light plants and get them on my locations in a week, I will keep them busy all the time. I'm thinking, wow, okay. So I, I let me, like, step out, and I go call my dad and panic in the parking lot, <laughs> like, hey, they don't want gloves or glasses or training. They want these things called light plants. And he's like, how many? And he doesn't know either. Like, it's something we've never done. He had no clue. So he's like, oh, you better make this happen. I better not, you know, buy these things and you not get them out. So I did. I said, we will have them here next week. 
Hoping, hoping <laughs> that, that <laughs> was. And you gotta admit that that is an entrepreneur. Yeah. That just jumped off a, a cliff, uh-huh. assembled a plane, and not even worried about the landing. Yeah, right. I Maybe just had it together, uh-huh. and I had no clue. I mean, I wasn't in business enough to think, "Oh my gosh, like it's just me and this fire extinguisher technician. We're gonna yeah. need a trailer. We're gonna need an extra person to move these around." I mean, I didn't think about the logistics of where these locations were from each other. I just knew. If I got 12 light plants, they were going to put two on a location and keep them busy. And that was all I said yes. And we did. They showed up with an angry delivery driver because I didn't have a forklift or a lift gate because I didn't know I needed that. I didn't even know what what they were. And they pull them off. And then I thought, well, how are we going to get these two locations? (laughs) I can't do that. Like, we've got to set them up and do all these things. So that's when I called a welding company and they did like put a little ball and hitch <laughs> like and we were piggybacking these things. Yeah. Not safe. We didn't know what we were doing, though, until it was like, oh, we got to get a trailer. Like it was all these steps to Wait, put a ball and hitch on each one. Yeah. To, like train them. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Made it work, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's got to be a way to get them there. Right? Yeah. I had to get them there in a week. <laughs> All over DFW. So I'm sure people were driving by thinking, what is going on? There's a hick if I ever saw that. (laughs) Like, I don't. And so we did. We got them all out. Well, then it's like you realize these things have to be calibrated, maintenance. Um, There was a lightning strike on one of the locations, and we didn't have, like, grounding rods on them. I mean, we didn't know. And our, our light plant got struck. So then we had to get grounding rods like all these things we were doing and learning and growing and going and those we logoed them and everybody started seeing health and safety and training on it and they started calling the office like do you guys do this training do you do it because it was a major operator and everybody was going Mm -hmm. to these locations so we never meant to get into the business of all that we ended up doing before the market crashed, but we did it. We figured it out all along the way. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing experience. I mean, it really taught me everything that I knew and gave me the confidence to know that I could do it again. And when the market started crashing, it also gave me the foresight to say like I'm gonna have to diversify like now I'm seeing experiencing what my parents experienced when I was growing up these highs and lows and if I don't do something I'm gonna I'm gonna be out of a job because it was it wasn't stopping it wasn't like oil because we were strictly gas market so it wasn't like the oil highs and lows I mean when the gas dropped it just plummeted to no recovery And you just could see the writing on the wall. And I was getting all these customers saying, hey, do you guys do drug testing? And I was the only one in the company doing drug testing because I did have a passion for like health when I started college. I just didn't pursue that degree. And so I was doing drug testing just with select customers because that wasn't really our thing. I was the only one doing it in the office. But I started getting blown up. Can you come out and do these drug tests because they wanted to get rid of everybody because they were closing the doors so like let's drug test 60 employees because we know we're going out of business and that way 30 of them are probably going to pop positive we're only going to have to pay unemployment to these other 30 
So that business started going crazy because they were looking for a reason to let go. And I saw that and I thought, well, this is going to end, though. When they all shut the doors, drug testing is going to also be no more. So I started looking at franchise companies to see, like, maybe there's something I could, like, add to my drug testing that would be beneficial that's not in the oil and gas market. It's going to give me some kind of staying power while I, I ride this out. And so I found this franchise called Any Lab Test Now that did drug testing, but they more the majority of their franchise was lab work. That's really what they were like, the big their big product. So I contacted them, talked to them about what I was doing. I would like to add this to my existing brand, but I'm keeping the toxicology because I've already, I already know what I'm doing. I know you guys do that, but if you guys will write out toxicology out of my franchise agreement, I'll consider doing this. Then they did, which is shocking because they never right. yeah. they never would do that yeah. now. They've grown to 200 locations. They're not, but I was just one of the early adopters. And so I lucked out on that situation. But after I got all my ducks in a row, that's when I went and had the hard conversation with my parents. Because, you know, like the gas market's crashing we are seeing the writing on the wall. Now I'm going to have to go talk to my parents about leaving their company that I started for them. Yeah. And so I did. And I said, you know, I want to offer a partnership, like, because if it weren't for you guys, I would have never started drug testing. But I'd like to take the drug testing with me out of this company. I'm the only one certified to do it. I'm the only one who's doing it. And then add this franchise with it. And so they, are, you, are you planning on going there for Christmas or things? <laughs> I mean, it was so it, that's probably one of the hardest discussions yeah, of my life. Yeah. And they were pretty supportive and of course crushed because like nothing's harder than losing in a family business, a family member that you can trust and rely on and all those things like that's different than losing a really good manager or something. You're losing somebody who it's just different. It's literally irreplaceable. Yeah, right. It's all about the trust and the love that you have between each other and knowing that you're going to do the right thing no matter what. Right. So when you take that ingredient away, it's really mm -hmm. hard to bake the cake, right? Right. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. So it was tough, but they, <clears throat> they weren't going to hold me back either. And it was like, if that's what you want to do and you think you want to do it, kind of go for it. So I did. And I only had, I had no working capital. I didn't even know about working capital. I didn't know about anything. I had about $20,000. The franchise fee was 15. So I had $20,000 total that I had saved over like the five years of working for my parents cashed that out, went and found a, a tiny spot. Um, wow. And so I, I, I had to pay my first and last month's rent. So that absorbed like the extra $5,000 yeah. that I had. Luckily, the place I had, they had to like evict. And so the furniture was still there. So they're like, you can have the furniture. Uh, so that win. saved yeah. me because yeah, I only had to buy it. Well, the bare minimum that I needed um, to get going. 
And so I did. And I I literally, maybe, I don't know that I had any money left after I did, after I did all of that. Probably not. So that's the definition of being all in. That's all in (laughs) right there. I just didn't know anything about working capital or sit or or catastrophe like COVID. You know, you, you just, I just didn't know. I went and. I knew I had no other option. I just told my parents this devastating news. I turned in my company cell phone, my company gas card, my company vehicle. I mean, I let go of my insurance. Like, yeah, everything Mm -hmm. just flipped for me overnight with zero backup plan or capital. And I just knew it had to work. So I You're at a point of no choice. Right. I mean, I had already done it. And here we are. I've got to figure it out. Yeah. So having no working capital and this brand new brand and a really not a very big market, I thought I can really only afford a part time person, honestly. So I got a part time medical assistant who could draw blood because this was a new company. And so I I would work in the office part time. She would come in for her shift when she would come for her shift. I would go sell. I went yeah. back to my roots. Yeah of oil field hitting the streets, hitting the streets, but this time hitting doctor's offices, which was a whole new game because wellness wasn't a a deal, a thing back then, you know, they thought I was a competitor. So I was going and talking Mm. to these doctors and they're like shunning me and turning me away because they think I'm doing something crazy. Like, what do you mean? You, you can do all these lab testing tests and you don't have a doctor in-house how are they getting the order well we provide the order you know it was a whole new wellness concept that nobody had heard of they thought some people thought we weren't legitimate some doctors thought we were competition so it was very it was difficult because I was doing a lot of education and getting a lot of a lot of pullback and angry doctors in fact I had a group of doctors that came into my office one day and said, if you do not stop doing flu and strep tests, we are going to write a blanket ad in the Hood County newspaper saying we will not honor any of your lab tests in our locations because you're cutting into our co-pays because they're coming to you to do the testing and then they're not coming to us. So we're losing the copay when they didn't realize they're coming to us. Wow. But we still have to send them to you. We're not treating or diagnosing. So we're your partner. Like they're coming to us to test before they go into your waiting room full of sick people. And if they're still positive, still test them in your office. And we're referring them to you guys because we can't treat or diagnose Mm -hmm. them. You're not losing money in the long run of things. We are your partner. We're helping you get results faster. We're sending people to you. We're just doing the testing. We're not trying to treat and diagnose. So that took a long time. It took a good two or three years for them to start realizing where we weren't the enemy. And they started sending us their cash paid orders. And they, they started realizing we were able to get their results to them in 24 hours, make their life so easy, give them discounts. Their, their patients were happy and they were making more money because they're able to treat and diagnose them faster because they're getting results from us faster. And that's when it shifted. And that's when doctors started talking and realizing, hey, these guys are like 
we're getting patients in and out now because we're not having to wait weeks for lab Part results. We're getting 24-hour yeah. results. So did you have any post-conversations with these same group of doctors who came into your office before? So when they came in, I said, I, I dare you to do that. Write that ad and see what happens. Because I am not going to stop doing these tests. So you can either choose to educate yourself and realize we're partners, or you can do something like that and see what happens. And I didn't know what I'm like. This, I'm this <laughs> young girl. The tough girl on the block. Yeah. That they it. were bullying me, yeah. you know, yeah. and they're and it's it was the older doctors who were also fighting this battle of big hospitals coming into communities and buying them out. Mm-hmm. So they are struggling to make money. And they're trying to stay privately held companies, but the, the conglomeration of these hospitals are just taking over towns to where they're starting to get forced to buy, to have to sell because yeah. they can't compete with the hospitals buying everybody out and driving the rates down. So it was like a very emotional because it was kind of like the last standing private doctors in that town trying to fight for their own business right. as well. And I, here I am. Public enemy number one. And God. They're, I'm picturing an old yeah. Western. Yes. Right? Yeah. And they're thinking that they're coming into my office and they're probably going to see like a 40-year-old a woman or something. Right. And so I'm I'm only 27. And wow. that was kind of a shock when they came into the conference room to like that. They, they weren't expecting but to see what boss? they saw. Like, exactly. Yeah. And they didn't it's think. Like, where's your mom? Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't think it. I was going to stand up to them, and I did. And so after that, you know, they were mad for a little bit, but then they started realizing, like, they are, and then they started sending Mm. their orders, and it all became a cohesive group of, beneficial, very very beneficial. Attorneys started sending us their paternity testing Uh, and their court order drug testing. So we started getting drug testing that was also not oil and gas. Like the city started coming to us to do drug testing, the county. So we started getting hotels, restaurants, the city, county, and then also like the lab testing side of things. And that's when I realized, wow, I, I did what I needed to do in my gut. I knew that industry was going to fail and I could sit there and cry about it and like, no, I, I'm going to have to get a new job anyway. Or I could see the writing on the wall and do what my parents always have and think fast and adjust adjust mm-hmm. and diversify yeah. if I can. And so that's really what started my franchise journey was that lab um, testing franchise. And then my wellness journey started when I was having those my lab testing patients coming in and they're like well this result is showing that i'm low on b12 or low on this vitamin or i am intolerant to these things or allergic to these like it was lifestyle changes that were kind of like you don't really need to go to the doctor you need to adjust your diet or uh you need just vitamins, like all these things that are so much red tape to go to a doctor to just get a simple B12 shot, you know? And so I'm like, well, if surely I can figure this out. And at this time too, my sister had been diagnosed with brain cancer Mm. and she was needing a lot of hydration 
for after chemo because she was getting very sick yeah. and radiation and all that. And she was having to go to MD Anderson. And even in Houston, there weren't IV bars that you could just go in and get an IV. Like she would literally have to go to the emergency room for any kind of holistic kind of deal, like wow. any detox mm. or any. <clears throat> so I really started for the patients of BU and for my sister trying to find a solution for both things. Cause I'm like, this is not a medical situation. This is more of a lifestyle situation. And that's when I developed BU and we, we started doing services that didn't require doctors orders that a patient could come in and it was more of a lifestyle situation than it was a medical situation. And so I developed that and then was told six months later, Hey, uh, we're transferring to Midland, Texas. Wow. <laughs> so I'm sitting at, now I'm in this crisis cause my lab is booming. You know, I, I managed to, save the drug testing company by adding the lab business. And now I've got this really great wellness startup that I've started up that everybody is loving what we're doing and it's all in development. And I'm being told, Hey, it's, we have, if we don't transfer, I'm risking losing my job because the gas is just not happening here. Midland is the safest play because the oil and gas industry right. is just so good. Yeah. And I, the first day I said, no, absolutely not. We're not moving <laughs> to Midland. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know, I've had my manager with me for five years. She has watched me. I've trained her. If she doesn't know how to run the day to day, there is something definitely wrong with what I'm doing because I should be able, I should be able to have a conversation if she wants to keep this going to do it. And then if she doesn't, I'm going to have to do something. And so my husband said, you know, like, you guys won't leave until we sell the house. And that could be a, a year, which it was actually a year on the dot. So I had about a year while me and the kids were in Granbury and he was going to Midland during the week and then coming home on the weekends to know that this was inevitable. Like we were moving and it, it could be yeah. tomorrow or a year, but I've got to utilize my time to get my manager up to speed if Ready. she decides yeah. she wants to take on such a challenge and she did. Nice. And so I had a good year to really work with her and then move here. And so, and, and she's not done, you know, <laughs> she's got more coming as far as businesses. Yes. And so we moved to this town or I guess it's more of a community called Greenwood. At, and I remember getting there that night with the kids and the moving truck was coming the next day. And he's like, well, you know, like we're going to make pallets on the floor because we had no yeah. furniture or whatever, but this is home. And it, it felt weird, but like, like, okay, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to really even check out the community or, and I knew Midland cause I grew up in Hobbs. So it's like, we would come here for school shopping yeah. and stuff, but that was, that was it really. And so the next day, the moving truck gets here, and it's about lunchtime. And I'm like, well, go get us something to eat. And he's like, well, there's not any places to eat out here. I'm like, what do you mean there's yeah, where'd no you bring me? places to eat? And he was <laughs> like, I know, it's kind of weird. Like, I'll have to go into Midland. It's no big deal, but it'll be like 15 minutes for me to go. And I thought in my head, like, 
And I think I said it like, that's crazy. Like that there's nothing out here. He was like, that's just, there's just not, it's literally houses and a school and a church. And I don't know that dollar general wasn't even out there yet. Like we didn't even have that as an option. I thought, Oh my gosh, where did I move (laughs) to? Yeah. And then about two and a half years of living in Greenwood, a shopping center started getting thrown up and he, my husband said, you know, like what we should do. And I'm like, but we, what I should do. Cause I'm going to be the one that's <laughs> dealing with it. He was like, yeah, it'd be cool to do food out here. Cause there's no food. And I thought, yeah, no, I'm not doing food. I worked food in high school and college and I always swore I would never do it, do again. it again. I'm not yeah. doing it. But then he said that, and I'm watching the community, I'm watching all this traffic and the growth and, I'm like, well, if I don't, somebody's going to. Right. And if anybody's going to, it's going to be me. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I did start looking and thinking, what is a concept that's franchise? Because I don't know enough about food to just do a startup to be successful right off the bat. I need to find a franchise that everybody already knows that's healthy because wellness is still important to me in all aspects of my life that doesn't have any grease that doesn't require a chef, that doesn't require recipes, that I could hire actually high school kids in the community to work it and have some adults too. Like, what is that brand? And so we're thinking, and he's, Subway. I'm like, that is actually a pretty good idea. Like, it's sandwiches. Yeah. How hard could it be? It's actually really hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot harder than what I thought Uh, when I had that thought. So I, I call Subway corporate in Connecticut. And they're like, where? And I'm telling them, and they're like, you're going to have to talk to the district um, person over your territory. And he's out of Lubbock. So I call him and he's like, I don't know. You know, so people have at, in the past have wanted to, like other Midland owners have looked at that, but nobody's ever done anything. So I'll come out there and see. I just don't know if that would really hold water. So he does, and he pulls up in a Rolls Royce. Like, the whole town's like, who is this guy, yeah. you know? Like, because they're working on the building. So all these contractors are seeing this guy pull up in a Rolls Royce in Greenwood. And he's like, get in the car, and let's drive around this community. So, I mean, for hours. We just drove up and down 307. He would stop and park at various spots on the road. Then, like, drive me around to these subdivisions out here. So I had to drive him He's like, you know, with this traffic, I I think you could do something out here. I, I don't know how successful it, it makes me nervous for you, but I, I think we could do it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you talk to whoever you need to talk to. And so we did, and we got the ball rolling with Subway. I had to, we had to take all these like aptitude, te- yeah. all these different th- personality tests, all this stuff. Then I had to go to Connecticut for 17 days. And at that time, I had two small kids. So I brought one of my kids with me to Connecticut for 17 days and called my cousin who was in college. I'm like, hey, do you want a nanny for like 17 (laughs) days in Connecticut? Because, I mean, it was just my husband's like, how am I going to do this for almost a month? You know, with both. And we didn't know enough people to like we didn't have any family here. I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. So, yeah, I went to Connecticut for two weeks, kind of learned, came back, 
And that's when my sister got diagnosed again. And so like I'm in the throes of the building being built Mm -hmm. uh, being told like she's has maybe a month to three Mm -hmm. months to live. Wow. And all this equipment coming in and all these things happening. And I mean, I just have to keep pressing through and be there for her, but be there for this. And it was a tough time, but I always go back to where I feel like I've hit a wall or it's gotten too tough. I have to remember I started a business with no business cards or customers or brochures or whatever. I always go back to when I start getting down on employees or staffing issues or community issues or just everything like, Hey, I made a million dollar plus business with nothing. I can do it. I can continually do it again. That's right. So we pressed through and, um, got the building built, got everything. And there's all kinds of nightmares throughout that process too. And as I'm, doing all of that, I'm realizing why the community hasn't opened a restaurant because there's water issues. So Uh, there's a well and subway didn't even really know how to deal with it because the water is just so tough to deal with out there. There's internet issues. There's not AT&T fiber optics out there at that time. There's not, there is that my only option was this company called Greenwood internet. It was the local provider and they had to put all these satellites on my stuff because they did it. It was just they were the only game in town that would maybe be able to handle all my stuff. Wow. And so, yeah, that was that made me realize that there probably were people who wanted to, but just didn't because there's too many barriers. There's there. too many obstacles. Yeah. They would hit a wall and probably stop. Right. But I'm too far into it. Right. Not to mention, I'm told. It's going to be a $125,000-ish investment with your equipment and all that stuff. And I'm told two days after, hey, it's actually going to be like $350,000 because they changed the the design plan on me. And I was the first location to have to go on the technology route with with the digital menu boards and the remote drive through kiosks. Like, I couldn't even go visit a subway to look, know what that looked like because I was the first one that was forced to have to do it. And so my this? investment that I'm signing and I'm thinking and the loans I've secured, all of a sudden I have to scramble for about $225,000 more, <clears throat> and I have to sign in 48 hours. What? So I have to call my banker. She's like, I can give you like 150,000 more, or maybe it was 125,000 more. I'm like, well, I need a hundred thousand more. So I started calling all these equipment financing and I shifted my loan and my debt to as much as I could getting equipment loans and utilizing the 225 grand she gave me for all the other capital build out and all that stuff. Wow. In 48 hours, (laughs) like somebody was was like, you've got, and they gave me no time. They dropped that ball on me. And I was like, juggling. I got to figure it out. I mean, I've already started everything in the process. You think they expected you to. Uh, I kind of wonder. Yeah. Because this is really a test. Yeah. It It was the biggest test. And so 
We did it. I mean, I, I got all that money secured in 48 hours. Wow. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that there are loans like this right. for equipment. There's loans mm-hmm. like this for invoices. There's loans like this for paychecks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they just think I got to go to the bank and that's all there is to offer is whatever the bank gives me. Here's somebody that went out and figured out, well, you know what? I need equipment. I need this or that. And really kind of juggled it through and figured out what's your best resource to make that happen. Like she put together her own financial toolkit. That's what I like to call it. Right. Yeah. I just Mm. didn't have any other choice. And so I did. And and luckily that all worked out. And so we. It sounded like a pretty good plan. (laughs) Yeah. It it was. Like, I mean, when your feet are to the fire and you. Absolutely. And I, I'm so prideful because when you come from a family who has these generations of success, I wanted to be different. I wanted to not be, not necessarily not be the oil and gas girl, but I wanted to chart my own path. So the last thing I was going to do was ask family or friends. Because, you know, that's yeah. always the, e- that's what most people will tell you. Oh, well. Start family and Start friends. with family and friends. Well, I And that's what it used to that. be after right. you get the money, right? That was family. That was friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I just refused because I yeah. already had, I felt like people looking at me thinking, I've got where I've got because of, and it never was. My parents never gave me a dime to do anything. In fact, what they did by not made me know that there were other resources out there. And I look back too, and to lose a company vehicle, gas card, insurance, cell phone, and no, nothing. I had nothing. I don't think back then they thought about it that way. Probably if I told this story now, they would be different. They probably would have been like, well, we should have let her keep the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. these things a little yeah. bit longer. Because my PlayStation, man, what's going on? <laughs> But I was just an employee at the end of the day, and that's what you do. And yeah. so I really wanted to chart my own path, and I had to be creative to get the because the last thing I wanted to do was do that. But I knew if I had to, I, I could have. I just didn't want to. Right. And so because of doing that, I mean, it, it also made me see all the other options out there. So we get Subway going. We're the only game in town. There's a donut shop that opens the same week that we do. And that first week, it's lying out the door. It's breakers flipping, all the build-out problems uh-huh. with lines, everything you can think of to possibly go wrong. It's going wrong. It's going wrong. I'm at the store from 5 in the morning till 3 in the morning because I'm learning how to open. I'm learning how to close. I'm learning how to bake. I'm learning how to do all these things myself with a whole brand-new staff in a restaurant industry that I, I've never been in myself. So I'm there day and night and just having almost middle break. Like I'm never going to see my kids <laughs> or husband again at this point. Well, I start getting frustrated because I am baking day and night because our volume is so high. Corporate's like, where is this town at looking at a map? <laughs> yeah, it's but you not were like the, the number one store. Yes. Like, and they are like, oh my God, how is this possible? Well, because I was the first franchise location to do this new technology stuff, it also came with a new oven that nobody else had ever tested or known. And I'm like, I can't bake enough bread day or night. Like, I almost need a test kitchen because I can't do this. And I don't have another store to be baking there, too, like some of these other owners. Like, I would, I had no options. 
something is not right with this oven. Like, how do they expect a high volume store? I'm going to be baking my life away, literally, to not run out of bread. Well, come to find out the oven that they gave me was for, like, their standard stores of just, like, that low to average volume store. It was not for high volume stores. So that's why I was baking day and night. I had to break down the ratio of conversion with the amount of bread I was selling in an hour to what I could bake and break it down in a calculation for them to finally say, oh, Oh. how are you doing this? And I had, and they forced me to do it for six months. I was living at that store for six months, baking bread for six months until they finally were like, I don't know how you've done this this long, but you need a different oven. Yeah, yeah, I do. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Like after I put it to you, like it's it, it's humanly impossible and equipment impossible to bake what I have to bake to not be baking all day long. Yeah. So when I got that new oven, that was a game changer. Wow. My life got easier. I could do the baking I needed to like a normal high volume mm-hmm. store could do and all of that. But it also forced me to have to stay at the store day and night for six months to learn all of the day and night operations to where I could look at reports and be like, there is no reason that y'all were, y'all didn't get this done in this time period with this many people, or you guys need to cut this. And it's kind of like, they were kind of shot. Like, how does she know? (laughs) Cause I lived it. First six months, she's just baking (laughs) bread. Now all of a sudden she's figuring out the whole process of what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Well, she she was, she wore every single hat. She really did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I could look and say, you know, and they would, if closings weren't right, I'm going to come in here and show you guys that it is possible to close the store in 45 minutes. Why is it taking you two hours? Uh, so uh, I would go, uh, and they kind of thought, yeah, right. This owner coming yeah. in here telling it, you know, and the same with opening the store, but it was because I've done it and I know it's possible. You can't tell me these things that I'm telling you, even though I'm just looking at the report, I know because I lived it mm-hmm. yeah. and that made me a better operator and owner. And so about, I don't know. It took about three years, honestly, to get it to the point where it was like I could finally breathe. I could finally go on a vacation again. Like, I mean, entrepreneurs don't realize when you jump in, there goes everything, your social life, your vacations. Like, you're just you're married to your business if you want it to be successful. And you're not going to be making money for a while. A lot of people think, "Yeah, I better have a paycheck that first month." <laughs> yeah. And good luck if you get it within the three to five that. years. Oh, yeah. Right out loud, it's like, really okay, right? So I just it was the three year mark for that to where I finally had the freedom to start doing other things, and that's when I opened BUs. Started open opening all the BUs around here. Because I decided, hey, I'm going to franchise this. Like, I've been through the ringer with franchising. I know how to be a franchisee. I know what it's like for the franchisor. I can I can franchise this brand. And the reason why is because I was getting all these clients. Are you guys here? Are you guys there? And I branded it to make it look like we were already yeah. a franchise to see right. what if it held water. And it did. So the proof of concept works. Proof of concept. Very important. Yeah. And so 
we did that, and I thought, I'm going to test BU in all different areas. I'm going to test it in a mall as a kiosk. So I created a BU kiosk, which is crazy they let me do that in the middle of a mall. But Odessa did. <laughs> and then I went to Lubbock, and I said, I'm going to be in the mall, but, like, just in an inline store. See how that goes. Then I went to Midland, and I, I'm going to be in the mall, but outside the mall. So I was next to James Avery, where customers could walk yeah. in that way. And then I said, I'm going to also do it in a gym. So I went into the in a gym in Greenwood. And I'm going to go into an office and see if I can make this concept work in a 250-square-foot space or a 2,000-square-foot wow. space. Or, and we started doing mobile, too, going to houses and doing IVs. So that way I have a concept where you can put, you can be remote and go to a concert or a venue and do these things. You can go to a house. You can be in a gym, you can be in a mall, you can be in a kiosk, you can be in a brick and mortar, and it's all successful. The only place I haven't really tried is an airport yet, and I'm going to. Ah. <laughs> so, concept, yeah. so I did that, and then COVID hit. And because we were in gyms and malls, mm. yeah. they were all closing, and all my leases were coming up. And I thought, well, when is the mall going to open? Yeah. When's the gym? We don't know. We don't know. So I had to close all those locations. I opened all those locations in a year, like five locations in a year, and had to all close them in a month because of COVID. Yeah, wow. And so that's when I got serious and thought, I'm going to go to the highest volume area of Midland. I I have no choice because the mall is closed. I got to move anyway. I'm going to focus my beta test store on Midland, go to the highest volume try every service out, do everything, start building it as a franchise brand because I want to franchise it and do that. And so that's what I did. And it flipped and BU is now, we have a location in Granbury and that's next to our lab testing and drug testing space. But now I'm learning all the franchise things. I'm learning how to write an FDD. I'm learning how to trademark. I'm learning mm-hmm. how to copyright, like all these things that I've never experienced before, even though I've been in business for over a decade. It's a whole new thing when you decide to franchise your business. You know, and I think that's something that's really important, too, because we've talked to a wide variety of people wanting to go in several different directions and a wide variety of uh, franchises. Um, you know, Lico uh, is one that uh, had all the... Uh, um, what sandwich shop did they have? McAllister's. Mm-hmm. So they had like, I, I don't know, 32 McAllister's. Um, he, he's eventually coming on to our show. But, you know, one thing I think uh, what people don't understand is all the barricades and obstacles that you have to go through to become a franchisee and realize that all the different uh, things that are in your way to make that happen, and you just mentioned a few of them, um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? If I'm a guy and I want to start a franchise, what are some of the things that I may have to go through and, and realize that eh, it's not as easy as you think? You know, you need to you need to know how many locations they currently have and what kind of franchise you're looking at. Like with any lab, when I signed on, it was less than 50 stores. So it was a small franchise right. system. They were what's considered an emerging brand. So 
there are a lot of things that within a lab I have leeway with on holiday hours and just a bunch of different things that I don't have with Subway because Subway was a global brand. So it's like I went from day to night with these two different brands. So you need to know the history of the company, the direction that they're going, how many locations that they have. And the most valuable thing you can do is talk to other franchisees, the unsuccessful ones and the successful ones. Cause it's, it's great talking to everybody that's doing great, but you need to know the ones who are struggling, what they're struggling with. Why are they struggling? Is it because of the corporate culture? Is it because they chose a bad spot for their location? What is it that's making you struggle? And if, it's the brand, then you probably need to look for a different brand. But if it's the owner and it's owner obstacles, then it could be not the brand and the the owner. So you really need to talk to, you need to talk to people who are in a comparable market as you and not just talk to somebody in Dallas when I'm in Granbury. Our numbers aren't going to compare. You know, you've you've got to talk to like-minded Right, different demographics, different uh, incomes, different uh, psychologies. Yeah, and, the, the, the characteristics are always different in cells, especially yeah. when you go into, like, well, look at Midland and Odessa. Mm-hmm. That's a huge difference. I think Dillard's is really the ones that actually have stamped that as to what they carry versus what Midland carries. Right. So, And I think talking, if you come upon a brand that doesn't want to let you talk to their franchisees like that should be a red flag flag. because if you're a good franchisor you should want them to have that transparency Mm -hmm. and that that communication with your franchisee and you should have enough confidence that you're not perfect as a franchisor like there could be some things you could be doing better and feedback and using that feedback that maybe these existing franchisees are telling these potential ones to be better Knowing what their five-year plan is, their 10-year plan is, all this stuff, because you want to know that you're with a brand that's going to keep on with the trends and emerging. And that's and be a partner means. in the game. Right, because it's like Subway has really stepped up their digital game in a big way, but it was because it was a forced situation because they were the only sandwich game in town for a long time. Then Jimmy John's came, Firehouse, all these other companies, yeah. and then COVID hit, and it's like, Oh no, we've never really had a huge digital remote app or presence like technology wasn't a subway yeah. thing because the the former owner he just is like a lot of entrepreneurs like if it's not broke don't fix don't it, fix it yeah. kind of deal and when you have a sandwich shop that you've developed in the early 80s for 30 years you're just and nothing's been an issue or problem and you're growing like crazy right then COVID happens and you've got to start thinking and competitors start coming in. So I think it's important to know that the brand you're with is going to keep growing even before a challenge presents itself and that they're always looking and adding and developing and that sort of thing. Because you can be in a great franchisees your first 10 years and when competition catches up and that sort of thing, then you know you've got to know that whoever is running that brand is always looking ahead so that that doesn't happen to you. Cause that's a huge, it's just a, it's a person's huge, it's a huge investment. And that's what I look at when I'm now that I'm developing a franchise myself, 
I want to create an environment for the franchisees that they don't have to create a separate business because I'm not providing them what they need or that sort of thing. I want them to be so happy with the brand because we're always growing and not stressed out and struggling and them having to find what they need to do in order to do it. Like that's my job. So I, I think that that's super important. So as a business owner, entrepreneur, um, you know, you talk about, you know, branding, right? The franchise comes with a brand, but you still have to let your customers know you're there, right? Mm-hmm. So like uh, the advertising aspect of wearing all the hats and, you know, you're trying to run the office, you're baking the bread and, you know, how, how do you operate social media at the same time you got all this other stuff going on? You still have to deal with employees and payroll and taxes. And- well, and dealing <laughs> with... I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and dealing with the franchise and trying to and a start and several startups, I wanted to be able to tell a franchisee when I decide to sell my first location, if you do zero marketing, this is the average sales you're most likely going to get. So with BU, I purposely did no marketing, no Facebook, no Instagram, nothing, get no paperclip. Because I wanted to be able to say, if this is all you're going to put into and you don't have money for marketing and advertising and don't have time to go door to doctor to doctor and all these places to build a community, then don't be coming to me as a founder and saying, oh, I'm only doing 15000 a month. I thought this was a million dollar business. Well, you... It will be in five. <laughs> no. not, right. You chose not to add <clears throat> and plan for marketing, advertising. So this is all you're going to get. And so I wanted to be able to show them that when you do Facebook, when you do Instagram ads, when you do pay-per-click, SEO, all these things, it's important. It can double, triple, quadruple your business. But you have to, as an owner, not get stagnant and not put your money back into your business. Because if you choose not to do that, you are going to have to be happy with what the sales are right now. And what's the BAM saying? Keep it fresh, Uh, keep it new, and keep it exciting. That's what's going to keep people coming back. Yeah, Because you're always being watched, too. Like, when I started BU, I thought I was just going to be an IV bar. And I saw the writing on the wall. I saw this is going to be a trend. This is going to be, people are going to see, oh, IVs, that's easy. We'll just do IVs. And the competition is going to be flooded. Mm -hmm. And it's not, we cannot just be an IV brand. We have to be a wellness brand. We have to be a lifestyle brand. We have to be something for everybody. And that's why we did BU the way that we did, because it was just going to be an IV concept until I saw, uh uh-uh, like this is going to be the blockbuster of wellness. Like, honestly, Uh because if everybody is doing IVs only and I'm doing IVs but 10 other things, guess what? I'm I'm going to be the winner on this deal. That's right. And somebody else is going to see that too. And so you always have to be not doing, going with the trend, but also having ancillary, like, products to keep driving different, things in because somebody is going to see a booming IV place. And if a doctor can do IV just all day long, they're going to see that line out the door and this lucrative success and all this stuff and be like, well, I can do that. And I can do that easier because I'm a doctor. I'm not going to put myself in that position and I'm not going to put somebody that buys my location 
in that position to only be a one type service brand right. or a couple. You know, in any type of business model that we put together, we always count up the different revenue streams that mm-hmm. are really, uh, well, has a lot of uh, potential. And then we typically categorize or prioritize which ones we really want to concentrate on. I think that's a little bit what you just did. Right. And I did that in my own head, but after talking to you about other business ideas and you asking me how many lines of income do I have, streams of income do I have going to it? Because I have come to you with concepts that maybe have only had five streams and you I'll never forget you told me in a meeting you need to come with me come to me with about 20 to 25 streams of revenue for this business and I thought that's crazy there's no way I can think of 20 plus things to add to this business this is kind of a concept that only has five after that conversation I was like ideas coming out from nowhere to where it was a whole bigger brand than I ever imagine but you need that pressure that push to know that you can do more because in my mind it was like well I need five or ten or that sort of thing but you pushed me to think of 20 25 30 and it all it changed my perspective of tying all these things together and making all those resources that make you money. Right. Uh, and it allows you some sort of sustainability, if you will, with scalability in mind. Right. So uh, she's proof it works um, more, I, more than once. Too and I think yeah. putting your not putting your eggs in all, in all of one basket, like seeing my parents oil and gas and them only ever being in oil and gas changed me to make me want to get in. I didn't want to get into food, but, hey, it was a problem. The town needed a solution. I created it. Like all these things have been kind of community problems that I've found a solution for. And a lot of them didn't know it was a problem until the solution presented itself. And then it was like, well, what would we do without Subway in this town? Or what would we do without this in this town? And that also goes back to when you decide to put a business in a community, evaluating the community. I definitely, I'm so glad I jumped the hurdles in Greenwood to do what I did. But through that, I found that there were a lot bigger community issues than what I Mm -hmm. ever realized. Right. And and speaking of that, I'm going to get into the idea. I know we're kind of getting close on time, but I really want you to speak about Greenwood, um, how you, you, you have this vision of it growing and some of the obstacles that may stop it from growing. And why is it so important that it does grow? With Greenwood, I initially, you know, I thought it was the water, the internet, which was all, but those things are continuing to get resolved over time. But the growth is just continuing at a rate that no one can really control. And so everyone is seeing it. And so another shopping center is being popped up down the road from us. But our shopping center is still not even completely full. I mean, the back of it is still empty and it's not for a lack of business ideas or problems or needs, I think it boils down to the lack of living situations in Greenwood. There, We don't have duplexes. We don't have apartments. We don't have affordable places for the college kid living at home with mom and dad in Greenwood to move out and kind of chart their own path and still live in the same community that 
their families in, yeah. you know, uh, those people who are working not in oil and gas and can't afford what is considered affordable living starting at 350000 in Greenwood, and they have no credit and they're getting on their feet or they're just starting or, or maybe they're not going to go to college and that's okay and they have a passion for food or these retail things that are trying to come to Greenwood – but they just aren't because there's not a there's a lack of there's a lack of labor, but the labor lack of labor trickles down to the fact that there's also a lack of affordable living for these people who are wanting to work in Greenwood, but they have to drive from Midland or Odessa to work in Greenwood. And the, I mean, as we're seeing inflation and the gas prices and all these things, if there's a subway down the road from this person that maybe they're making a dollar less versus driving out to my location 20 miles from Midland to make a dollar more. They may start with me, but in about two weeks to a month, car problems start happening. They can't afford gas because that dollar more with me wasn't worth it. So they're going to stay in Midland or Odessa working at the place right up the road for them right. before they're going to come work at my location right. in Greenwood. And that's what the whole town or community, because it's not necessarily a town, that's why we're having the difficulty of retail. There's no shortage of oil and gas companies popping up everywhere, but we are having an issue with the needs to meet a growing community that those needs are retail or food-based that – are not sustainable because a person can't live and work in Greenwood if there's no if housing, there's no housing right. for them. And so there's been some strides with new communities that are considered affordable popping up, but that, like I said, they're starting at 350000 wow. <laughs> And yeah. it's a house, you yeah. know, and not everybody has that credit or... That's not affordable. No, not to at the, all. To so to really kick the labor force in gear, I think really is what we're trying to get in there is some maybe apartments or, like you said, duplexes, something that's really affordable, um, where the hourly rate that you can make uh, still is affordable. You, you, you know, you make enough to be able to afford to live. Uh, otherwise, you're paying a lot more money to come out there. And then, of course, that really slows the growth because you don't have the labor capability to grow. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, man, it's like a catch 22, you know, uh, you're, you're damned if you do it and you're, you're really damned if you don't. Um, and yet Greenwood's really a really nice place to right. be. And it trickles down beyond I'm talking about retail, but our teachers too, the schools are busting out the mm-hmm. seams and they're having to make accommodations to give, to get, to get people in to get certified who aren't necessarily didn't go and to get a teaching degree, but they're having to make exceptions for these certifications to get the mom who wants to get out of the house and was substitute teaching. Well, she would make a great teacher's aid kind of deal because so teachers can't even afford to live out there either. If it's just the fresh out of school teacher, they're having to come from Midland because they're yeah. living in an apartment in Midland. Um, or if there are rental properties, they're getting scooped up by the oil and gas companies to say they're putting their employees in those housing. Yeah. So it's just all being absorbed by, 
And at oil field companies too, the vet, all these things that we do have, the reception part of it, the the things that aren't the actual in the field laborers, these companies also need these positions filled, but they're not being filled either. And they're struggling. Even oil and gas companies are struggling to find a shop tech or mm. a secretary or receptionist because There's of no this situation. Yeah. Uh, so. Sounds like to me a really good investment. Um, you know, if you've got some money to invest in some property out there and build uh, some townhomes, some duplexes, some apartments, um, and knowing that the oil field themselves are looking for that stuff, I mean, if you don't get enough labor there, at least you're you're sewing up some of this expense by the oil companies. Right. So it's a win-win if you just put it all together, and then that way you're really helping Greenwood grow. Uh, and that's really something that needs to happen. Right. And the community voices it all day long on Facebook or whatever. Like if somebody says on a community page, what does Greenwood need? Because they're seeing these shopping centers, you know, people will say a hardware store or um, a shipping and packing deal a place because it's a nightmare. Melling is a nightmare out there because you've got all these county roads and all this craziness. Mm, So we don't have any place you can go to like have a a community post off post box or like to ship things or pick up your Amazon packages, things you're getting lost. It's a total, it is a total nightmare. And there are these things, a coffee shop, like you think of it, we need it and it Mm -hmm. would be supported revenue wise. What is not supported is labor-wise, and that's what stops these people that have a location in Stanton, Midland, Odessa. They stop when it comes to the point of labor. Like, they see the potential. Right. They see the growth they want in Greenwood, but they also see I have to have employees to run these, and I don't think I'll get them. Mm-hmm. And so it, it stops right there. And so... I think to even retail locations and businesses locally would work something out with these developments. That's like, Hey, we will work in our contract with this manager that we will pay this percentage of rent and this, as long as they're here, you know, whatever they they would do negotiations with their key employees with these apartments or duplexes to, to help them too and have some kind of incentive because we're also having to offer that incentive to come from Midland, Odessa or Stanton to come to Greenwood. So I feel like you would have business owners locally really supporting these housing initiatives because it's helping them and their businesses too. Right. And these people are happy because nobody want, you want to live in the community. You want your kids to go to school you want to go grocery shop. You want to live and be a part of the community that you work in. That's just the natural thing that you want to do. Absolutely. And so for these to be able, these individuals to be able for their kids to also go to school in Greenwood, and then they get to have a life and develop a community, That's that would be a big incentive to so many people. Because Greenwood is jurisdiction-based too. Like they're having to zone and they will drive by houses and make sure that you're, cause we're busting out the seams. Like we have to know that whoever's living in Greenwood lives there. Cause the school doesn't have as enough room as it is. And so they're not accepting transfers. If you don't live in Greenwood, ah. you're not, yeah. you're not going, your kids will not go to school in Greenwood. And so that's, 
that's an issue with a parent because they don't want to drive to Greenwood and then have to leave at three to go get their kids all the way in Midland or Odessa. If their kids were in Greenwood, they could just go right up the road, pick them up, yeah. drop them off, and go back to their shift or whatever. Right. It would. It's a huge. It would be a huge advance for the business owners and more things would come to the community if that option was available. Man, I just say it's a great opportunity for an investor. Um, can really make things happen and develop Greenwood. Right. Um, you know, before we leave, I wanted to ask you a, one more question. If all our startups are out there and quite a few of them are listening, what advice would you give them to before they actually put their foot in the direction of being an entrepreneur? Wherever you're going, whether it's online, in a community, wherever it is that the problem exists first. Like, there's lots of great ideas out there, but if there's not a problem with where you're taking this idea, you're not going to have any sales. Like, if you find a problem and hone your idea geared towards a problem that needs a solution in any area that you're going to, you're going to be successful uh, in itself. If you don't do that, you're going to really struggle creating, pushing these products or pushing this business on, on people who don't find value in it because they don't necessarily need it. If you, you're going to be, and I'm not saying that that necessarily doesn't work for people. Some people stay at it and, and make people realize like this was whatever, but it's a long road. And if COVID happens or an economic disaster, inflation, and that's your business strategy, you are going to probably go out of business versus the business strategy where the problem already exists. You're going to most likely weather storms that come your way that you're not seeing if there was a problem that you provided the solution because they're going to keep going back. Yeah. to the solution because it's always going to be a problem. And if you're not there, then somebody else is going to have to find it. So yeah, that, that really kind of defines the purpose, right? Right. If you don't have the purpose, the motivation, you got to ask yourself, what are you doing? Right. It's hard um, and you have to be realistic. You can't start a business and not, and expect to be a millionaire yeah. in a year. You yeah. have to realize that you're not going to make money for a little bit. And if you do make money, you should be putting it back in your business mm -hmm. to sustain it because it's great if you have a good year, but is it great if you close down in year two because you took all that profit and yeah. COVID hit or whatever? Like it's not so great anymore. So you just always have to keep planning, keep planning and keep staying ahead of the game and be realistic and know you're going to work harder for yourself than you ever worked for anybody else. People see. Wow. That you, is so true. Yes. Yeah. They see you coming and going and going here. And, th yeah. and they're thinking it's because you can. It's not necessarily because you can. Nope. It's because you have to. Right. If I'm going to Granbury, it's because I have to. It's not always because it's some easy breezy whatever. I'm doing the things I'm doing and I'm going here and there and I'm juggling because I, I have to. It's not necessarily because. I'm just doing what I want that day. You, right. I'm working harder and I'm working at five in the morning and I'm working at 10 at night and I'm, you know, we're doing all these things behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see when you're not in your business, you're still working 
in your business, on your business, always. always. It's never ending. There's never a minute that goes by during the day that I don't think about my business. If my text goes off, I'm not thinking it's family or friends. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's wrong at the store or what, what has happened or who needs me Mm -hmm. more than I am about anything else. It it is like a, it's like a child. It's, Mm -hmm. it's constantly growing and you have to be there for it. 24 hours a day. And more importantly, as you just mentioned a little there, as the business grows, you have to grow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't be stale with technology. You can't be stale without being able to articulate ideas that you may want to try to do uh, later to penetrate new markets. Right. Um, And, you know, that's why I always say keep it fresh, new, and exciting is because those are the typical things you need to be thinking about even after you get into business. Right. So it doesn't ever change. And I look back on the safety business from that perspective. If my parents, we were the new, we were new, we were fresh out of college. We were hiring our college friends. So it was like we were this young group that had the desire, the growth, and we were growing faster than what my parents had ever anticipated. We were doing these things that they didn't, they didn't anticipate when I had to mention we need a website and we need to put our products on the website and all that stuff. They were kind of like it was all foreign because they were not in the era of that kind of business. I mean, they were doing the field work and that like you don't need a website for field work, all this stuff they're doing. And then they become, you know, the older some folks get, they become cyberphobia where they think everybody's watching them. Right. You know, I know what you're doing out there. So there were opportunities missed. There were probably bigger buyouts that could have happened had we have been on the cutting edge of everything. And so you have to look at that, too, and learn from those and think, we missed that here, but now that I'm in control, I'm going to keep staying current and fresh because I want to be the first that's bought out in this industry and not miss the boat. And we did. Even though we were very successful and it ended up getting bought out, it could have gotten bought out at its prime for a lot more had we have been more aggressive on the technology side and on the new things and all these things. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think it's a good lesson to learn from a Blockbuster. Yes. Right? Right. <laughs> Didn't yeah. keep up with the technology, with the trends. And, uh, you know, we saw and, what happened. And, you know, and they didn't have a blind eye to it. They knew it was they coming. They knew it was coming. Right. So well, Netflix themselves went to go pitch to them. Yeah. So it's. They knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah. A lot of information, you girl. I got to say, too, that, and I hope a lot of people understood her story from when she started all this. And think, really, she was all by herself with the challenges that she had in front of her. And uh, I don't mind. She kicked ass. Yeah. Um. And did really well. And look at her today and where she's doing. And, and now she's left. She's doing one franchise to create her own. Uh, the multi-businesses that she's been involved with. Um, man, it's just exciting to hear and see. So uh, I just wanted to say thanks for being here to share all that. I appreciate it. I enjoy sharing it. I hope it. I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs that have the idea. or But there's that block of I can't do it. And I... I don't care how things have evolved and technology and all that, like going door to door, saying what you're doing, sharing that with other people, the old fashioned ways still work Mm -hmm. today. The hustle never stops. And I know 
the best investment is in yourself. And that $20,000 that I had, <laughs> all to, that's all I had to my name. I mean, look at what it did. Yeah. It grew and I've learned from it. And that was that's the best investment I've ever made is literally on myself and trusting I had to do it because I had no other plan. Right. And I would tell that to anybody. It doesn't yeah. matter how much capital, what your credit is. Like if you've got the hustle and drive, you'll you find can a way do it and you'll find a way Yeah, if you have to. So just don't give up and keep pursuing no matter where you're at. From It'll no, come back around. Yeah, mm-hmm. it from, does. From no business cards to what? Now you have a handful with you hand out to people. You know, well, I, no, <laughs> she gets confused as to which one she got to get. I just, I don't actually have oh, business cards, at <laughs> so I just get my email because it's. <laughs> I still That's have so gone good. back to my old way. They'll find me if they really They'll find you, right? Yep. Really need me, so. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, we sure appreciate your uh, wisdom, experience, and knowledge sharing with the, all the, bam. Biz talk uh, listeners out there. Yes, sure. thank you guys. It was yeah. great. I loved it. Awesome. So uh, we got to have her back again too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Absolutely. in a year when I have my first franchise sold. There we go. Yeah, well, I want to be a part of that. Up. I want to be a part of <laughs> yes. that. Yes, that's so, a good story. Uh, absolutely. Well, Angel, I uh, we're gonna say thanks for hosting us. Uh, as always, being the control man. Absolutely. Um, this is probably one of the most exciting uh, interviews we've had uh, that I've really enjoyed. Uh, only because I've known her for a while and I've seen what she's gone through and it's just exciting to see where she is today. So uh, with that, hey, man. Uh, yeah. Great podcast. Great Absolutely. Podcast. Looking forward to, uh, seems like you're just getting ready to start it. Right? Yeah. yeah right? All right. Love it. All right. Well, y'all have a good one. You too. Thank you.